So welcome to another episode of How Great Shall Be My Joy. I am really thrilled, which is an understatement, to be here in Spanish Fork, Utah, sitting at my mother and stepfather's home, playing their piano, and interviewing my mom, who is a real pro in temple work and genealogy work, because a lot of times people feel like in order to be a good member missionary, I need to be an extroverted person who can start conversations comfortably about the church. And I'm here to tell you, based on my experience, that's just not the way it normally works. One of the things, as you know, that we have been encouraged to do because of COVID-19 around the world and the closure of what is around 168 temples that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has operating under normal circumstances, those have been closed down, are now opening back up in a graduated scale. And one of the things that President Nelson and others have encouraged us to do is to be involved in family history work and temple work. And my mother is a real pro in both of those. Um, let me give you a quick, a quick summary, a little background, so you, you have an understanding of uh, the, the spiritual level and the talent of this lady, which I'm just... Hey, it's my podcast. I'm going to brag about her all I want to. <laughs> but um, she was, she's always been a faithful, active member of the church. Her mother was the personal secretary to Elder James E. Talmadge of the Quorum of the Twelve. Um, she's the mother of 11 children, and those children are active in the church. And at the ripe young age of 47, she was widowed when my dad had a heart attack. She had 10 children at home, ages 1 to 20, and I was 19 and I was serving a mission. So when you sign up for the deal you're going to get in life, not many of us would have signed up for the idea of being a widow or a widower at the age of 47 with 10 kids still in your home. This lady just carried forward and I, I watched it. I'm one of the kids and when I've asked her how she did it, she frequently just says, well, I've got great kids. But there's more to it than that. And, I'm, and the, the purpose of the podcast is not really to talk about that. It's just to give you a little bit of background on what this wonderful lady is like. About 10 years after my dad died, my mom got remarried to a wonderful gentleman who is also sitting here with us and they have now been married 31 years, and it in and of itself is a tremendous success story. But I wanted to just talk to my mom a little bit about temple work, the purpose of it, why we do it, and you can learn from one of the real pros in this whole area. So I guess one of the first questions, mom, would just kind of a simple one, which is why do we build temples like we do? We build temples because Heavenly Father asked us to and because the ordinance that is received in the temple is essential to godliness. So if people, so the, one of the idea, when, when I was 19, I went to the Provo Temple with you and dad. And then about 40 years later, you and I went back again as I went around and started visiting these different temples. 
the gift that you get called an endowment in a temple is for your best interest long term, right? It's a special gift. Very long term. Very long term. And it's only received in a temple or maybe a mountaintop or other places that you go to before temples were built. Is that accurate? And after you have proven your dedication to the Savior, then you get that, right? Then you can apply for a temple recommend. Right. And no member of the church goes to the temple without a recommend. Right. Um, tell us a little bit. This lady is also a wonderful scriptorian. She reads the scriptures on a daily basis and has done so for years. One of the key people involved in temple work is the ancient prophet Elijah. Um, do you want to just tell us a couple of thoughts off the top of your head about Elijah? Elijah is one of the people that has developed his faith to the level where he can speak and things happen. He doesn't have to make physical effort. He, like the Savior who spoke and worlds were created, Elijah got to the point in time where he could speak and fire came down from heaven and burned the <clears throat> sacrifices of the priests of Baal? Yeah, the priests of Baal. And Elijah was fed by the side of a little stream by ravens that God sent to him to keep him fed at a time of drought and problems. Elijah sealed the heavens for three and a half years and there was no rain. And then when Elijah spoke, rain came. He had developed his face to the point where he could speak and things occurred. Now he is also mentioned in the very, I think it's the very last chapter of the Old Testament. Malachi, you would know better than I. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 talk about the prophecy that Elijah would return before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we believe in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that that has happened already. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It happened in, I don't know the exact year, about 1831 or 32 in Kirtland, Ohio. It was 1836, but that's the only correction I'll ever be able to give you because okay. you know everything else. <laughs> April okay, 3rd. Yep. So, and... The brethren had been organized into a quorum of 12 apostles 
and a first presidency. And they had been given the assignment to build a temple. And Elijah appeared and gave the keys for some of those temple ordinances to the brethren who lived at that time. And they actually saw the prophet Elijah. And with the return of, we always talk about how Elijah gave or brought back the sealing power. You're talking about the sealing power. So when Elijah did something on the earth, it was also valid in heaven. It was legitimate on both sides of what we call the veil, right? He, he, would, he would seal the heavens from raining, and it affected both the earth and the heavens, basically, I guess. But he brought that sealing power back. So now, can you make the connection for us between that, that experience in 1836 and the temples that exist now throughout the world? Why did Elijah have to come back and do that before we started all these, the, I guess, or as we started this temple work. Heavenly Father works through keys. Peter had the keys of the gospel. They were given to him by the Savior. And they were on the earth, the right to work for the gospel and the church. Those keys were on the earth until the time that Peter was crucified, and they had not been on the earth from that time until 1836 when Elijah came to the prophet Joseph Smith and gave him those keys so that now the church could do the temple work that had not been done for centuries. So a key, when people think of a key, they think of a, uh, something that will unlock a door, for yes. example, right? In the spiritual sense, keys, I guess, unlock spiritual doors or powers, but can you tell people what keys means? Well, Peter, in, uh, oh, who's the Danish... The Danish uh, artist? The Danish artist that did the Quorum of the Twelve. Yes. And he did one... Carl Block. Is that who yeah, it is? I think so. And he did one thing that was kind of representative of each of the Quorum of the Twelve. And when he did one for Peter, he did keys. He put keys in his hands because the Savior had given Peter the keys that he could function and do the works. So basically, he could. Peter had the authority and the right to direct the work and carry to it forward. To direct the temple work. To they direct the temple, temple work. work, too. Okay. So now in today's world, we've got your Payson, Utah temple about what, 10 miles from here or so, which is the temple that you go to a lot. Tell everybody about what indexing is and kind of the, the process of using these temples because you're a real pro with indexing, among other things. And just kind of tell us a little bit about that. 
when people begin to look for their ancestors, they look in indexes, in, in registration places where birth records are put or death records are put or marriage records are put. They're usually under the control of governments. And so when you index, the government has given you, given the church actually, the permission to copy those records and get that information. And if you have an ancestor who was born in Europe in the 1800s, then you can have the right to go to that country's records and copy from their records information regarding hundreds of people. Some of them will or could be your ancestors. So you have done that for a number of years. You have gone in on the computer, found registries from churches or whatever. And yes, just births or baptisms or deaths or just any kind of civil record that you, the church then has permission to go in and copy. And you can go in and, and fill out the form and type that information in. And then it may have nothing to do with you, but there's someone in the world that it does relate to. And so when they start looking and get curious, it will be there. You will have copied it from the European country or wherever, or the state in the United States from 100 or 20 or 200 years ago, whatever. It will be there for them when they look and they can build their ancestry generation by generation. So you have indexed or gone in and pulled out, to my knowledge, about 400,000 names or something, last count that I got. Something like something that. Like that. And made those records, you've basically taken the records and put them in the computer so that other people can also find them and work with them that have accurate dates so they can get those names ready so that people like you and I can go to the temple and do various ordinances for those people to basically help them progress towards being with God and forever. And have accurate information. Yeah. Tell, just as kind of a, a general question, maybe to people who are members of the church but have, have never gone to a temple, for example, for whatever reason, or maybe somebody who might listen to this podcast who's not a member of the church, but they have a, the Frankfurt, Germany temple is two miles down the road from where they live. And they're wondering, why is that building there? Um, is there anything you want to say to these folks about why they should try to get to the point where they can go into one of these temples? We believe that those ordinances which are obtained in the temple are absolutely necessary 
to get you from this point to seeing the face of your Father in heaven. And you don't just, like my nephew who just graduated a few months ago from the U.S. Naval Academy, you can't just show up in Annapolis one day, walk up to the front gate and say, hey, I'd like to go to the academy. You have to be... You have to qualify. You have to qualify, yes. And, and if your work is good enough and your faith is good enough, you can, you can qualify probably to get in. But you can't just walk on the campus and suddenly be in the classes, right? I mean, there's a program. You can't go to Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. to see the Washington Nationals play baseball without a ticket. You need a ticket, a valid ticket, to get in, right? So one of the concepts that we talk about is that you can't just walk in to God's presence and everything's rosy. There are some steps you have to take to get there, which is something we're all accustomed to in life anyway. And Elijah played a role in making those steps available to us in the last, what, 180 years, 190 years, something like that. Um, do you have a favorite temple that you like to go to? Well, I love the Payson Temple, but I work in the Provo Temple, the original Provo Temple, and every temple is special. And the relationships that you build with other people who work there in the temple is wonderful. Uh, they're very close friendships. And um, you have come with me as I've gone around the last three years or something, um, visiting a number of temples in the United States and a couple outside the United States. You, you have kind of caught the spirit of that as much as I have, maybe even more so. We've gone to, I think, 11 different temples in the last three years where you've joined with me and, and come there. It's been terrific. Um, if someone out there says, okay, I can't really go to the temples right now because they're closed and they're opening, they're opening back up, but they're only in phase two and I have to wait till they're in phase three or four before I can really go do some stuff. And so they want to get started in family history work in the meantime, like we've been encouraged to do by President Nelson and others. How do they start to do some of this stuff? Where do they go to get started? If you just get on the computer and go to the family search, search. area. Is it familysearch.org? Familysearch.org. Okay. And you will find indexing listed separately there. And that's something you can do with very little training. And you can be so helpful to so many people. Can, can you, do you need a permit? Do you need anybody's permission? Or can you just go on the computer and get started? You can uh, enroll on the computer. And they will keep record for you, actually. And they'll tell you how many you have done over the months. And it's kind of fun to see those numbers grow. That's wonderful. Okay, is there anything else you want to say to people about the, the value of temples or the meaning of temples or why they should be involved in a temple or temple work? Oh, we believe temple work is absolutely necessary to see the face of God. And your ancestors 
are going to want to do that. And you are the link between your ancestor and that experience. And it's not going to happen until someone makes their information available. So it's a big deal. Very big deal. Great. Well, this has been a lot of fun just talking to you about this. And we'll upload this as our latest episode. And um, people in 22 countries and something like 180 cities have listened to these episodes over the last six months or so. Great. So I am thrilled to have my own wonderful mother represented on my podcast. And um, again, it's called How Great Shall Be My Joy. And if you have any questions, you can email me at howgreatshallbemyjoy at gmail.com. Thanks. And there is so much joy in doing indexing and temple work. There's nothing quite like it. You just feel like you have made a contribution instead of just taking up space. And that's coming from a lady who is 89 years old. I'm sorry, I'm just going to tell them how, how old or young you are. <laughs> but oh, I'm, I'm... But it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> I'm very proud of her. She has a wonderful spirit, has an amazing life that she's lived, and has found a lot of joy being involved in temple work and indexing and genealogy work. So we'll wrap it up at that point. I'll give you a little music here to send you off. And again, send me an email if you have any questions. And thanks to my wonderful, beautiful mother for doing everything that she does.